Well, good morning, church family. So before we start digging into God's word, why don't we open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to come together, and I pray that uh, as we start to uh, look into your word, uh, we look in Luke and see about the parable of the lost sheep, I pray that uh, you'd give us greater understanding of what this parable means, and I pray that we would help it, uh, help us to apply it to our lives as we go out into the world. And I thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as I've noted in my prayer that we will be in Luke, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, looking at verses 1 through 7 as we continue our series on the parables. Uh, this is one of the more popular parables. Uh, when you think about the parables, one of the ones that comes to mind is probably going to be the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, and so it becomes very important for us to take a deep look into the parable to make sure that we have a full understanding of what it means. Uh, before we start, let's just read the verses and it says, starting verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to uh, hear him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home... He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, when you read this parable, uh, one of the great things about this is that, first of all, Jesus tells us what the parable is about. Um, also, it is a fairly clear parable. Uh, even in me just reading it, you probably have a good understanding of what this parable is about. Uh, the elements are simple. There's a shepherd, there are sheep. The shepherd goes and finds the sheep, and he rejoices when he finds it. But we need to start with the context of this passage. And in the context of this, it's in verse 1, and we see two different groups. The first group is the tax collectors and sinners. And it says in verse 1 that they were drawing near to him. Uh, these are the people that Jesus attracted because um, these are the people that Jesus was reaching out to, that he came to seek and save the lost. Uh, these were the people who uh, knew that they weren't right before God and Jesus was offering them uh, salvation and they were paying close attention to it. But when you think about tax collectors, we need to understand uh, that it's interesting that they're put in their own category. Uh, you have tax collectors, and then you have sinners, which is their whole another category. Uh, tax collectors obviously weren't liked by the Jewish community at all. Uh, they were extortioners, and we can see that in Luke three twelve through 13, actually. Uh, Luke 3, 12 through 13, uh, tax collectors also came 
to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Because tax collectors would uh, collect taxes and they would collect a little bit extra and then they would take from the top. And so they were extortioners. They were essentially stealing from the Jewish community. So you could obviously see why they were very liked by them. Uh, They were also working uh, for Rome. So they weren't very popular, to say the least. Uh, They were kind of like society's outcasts. And that's why you see them as tax collectors. And you have the sinners. The sinners are those who uh, did not know or observe the legal niceties of the Pharisaic religion. And so it's those people who the Pharisees would look at as sinners because they don't hold to the standard that the Pharisees uh, held themselves to. And that brings us to the second group. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners are drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, Pharisees are interesting because they are the uh, separatists. Uh, That is essentially what it means, the word Pharisee. It was to separate themselves from others. It was owing to a different manner of life from that of the general public. And so they, at this point in time, kind of saw themselves as better than Uh, They aren't those tax collectors and sinners. I don't even know why Jesus would be uh, engaging with them. Uh, The scribes are those who studied the law, they taught the law, and they knew the word of God, uh, which makes uh, a lot of the interactions that Jesus has with the Pharisees and scribes that much sadder. When you're thinking about both of those, both of the Pharisees and the scribes, Uh, The perfect way to think of them is in Matthew 15, 8 through 9. You don't have to turn with me, but here uh, Jesus quotes from Isaiah. In verse 7, he says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they do not worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That was the Pharisees in a nutshell, uh, teaching the doc, uh, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And we've talked about Pharisees a lot, how they really overcomplicated and they made a lot of extra rules uh, that went beyond the Bible and they held to those. And uh, they, <clears throat> in so doing, uh, they forgot about the word of God and what the word of God was supposed to be doing in the lives of the people. And it's interesting because you have the tax collectors and the sinners who are drawing near to Jesus, and you have the Pharisees and the scribes who are grumbling. Uh, And it's very interesting what they say. First of all, they say, this man uh, receives sinners. They don't say Jesus. Uh, They say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, the very interesting thing about that statement is it is meant as a diss. Uh, They kind of meant it as a backhand uh, that he eats with sinners. They saw that as a negative. Uh, But when you think about it, it is a wonderful, profound truth that they proclaim, that this man, Jesus Christ, 
that he came uh, to receive sinners and he eats with them. Uh, We can be lucky, or we are fortunate, that he does do that. It's very interesting because when you think about Luke, there's many times where this argument comes out. Another point in time, a very similar instance, is earlier on in Luke 5, verse 30. In Luke 5, verse 30, you can actually turn there because it's worth looking at. Luke 5, verse 30. And it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's almost the exact same thing. The only difference is they aren't directly addressing Jesus at this point in time. Their attention is directed towards the disciples. And Jesus answers them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so, really, this parable... Um, Though it is explained in a different way through a parable, he is relaying that same truth to them. Um, It's something that he keeps telling them, and they don't seem to understand that he's calling the sinners to repentance. So, the Pharisees and the scribes, they considered themselves better uh, than and above the tax collectors, Uh, And they just couldn't understand uh, why Jesus would be with them. But it's very interesting, again, along with that chapter 5, even just previous to chapter 15 in Luke, in chapter 14, Jesus explains that he would want you to go and essentially hang out with what they would consider to be the lower class. If you go to chapter 14, verse 12, It says, and he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or a rich neighbor, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because you cannot, for they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." And so Jesus is teaching all along, look, I am coming to save the sinners. I want you guys to be involved with what the Pharisees would consider the lower class and probably would never hang out with someone who was even lame, blind, crippled, let alone a tax collector and a sinner. Jesus is going to be addressing the scribes and the Pharisees' self-righteous attitude. That is what he is addressing in this parable, but he also has three different parables. He is responding to their grumbling. Uh, The three parables, we have the parable of the lost sheep, we have the parable of the lost coin, which follows it, and then we have the parable, parable of the prodigal son. All of these are highlighting an aspect of God saving the lost sinner. It's highlighting God's grace on us. And it's very interesting when you look at them. Each one of them gets more personal and pertinent as it goes along. Now let me explain. When you get to the lost sheep, it is one out of the 99. 
And so you could make the argument, well, he's just losing one out of the 99. Uh, it's not that joyous of occasion because he still has 99 other sheep at least. When you get to the woman with the lost coin, she loses one of her 10. And so it's a little bit more serious, right? You have lose one of them, and they only have nine of them left. And then when you get to the prodigal son, there's only two of them, and he loses one of them. And so um, our, uh, it gets more and more uh, intense. The loss becomes more and more intense as you go through these parables. That will bring us uh, to our first point in this particular parable. And so, again, in response to them, so he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So the first point is the shepherd's lost. And he asks a question, what man of you, right? This is stated as a question, but it's really a rhetorical question. Uh, Everyone there who would have heard Jesus saying this would have knew the importance of even one sheep, uh, that that had to be returned, and we'll get to being a shepherd in New Testament times. But everyone would have agreed at this point in time. It doesn't need to be answered when he said, which one of you would have gone and lost for the lost sheep? The answer is, all of you would have done this. But this would also be very offensive to them. Something you don't normally think about. Uh, shepherding uh, wasn't highly regarded in the New Testament times. And I think coming from where we are at this point in time, it's hard to see that look looking at the text um, because we often glorify we're coming into Christmas where we have you know the shepherds gather and all that kind of stuff and so we really amplify the fact that they're shepherds and Jesus was a shepherd and so in our minds shepherds are highly regarded eventually is where we get to that point but we need to remember that at this point in time they weren't highly regarded and so for Jesus to suggest like hey put yourself as a shepherd would you go look for your sheep, they probably would have been offended like about that. Hey, we're not shepherds, we're Pharisees and scribes. We wouldn't stoop to that level. But in the end, all of them would agree that the sheep was valuable and worth saving, which was the point of the parable. Now let's talk about shepherding in the New Testament time. It's very interesting because you have a lot of Old, uh, Old Testament passages regarding shepherds. We can even see, obviously, Psalm 23, where we see God as the shepherd. Uh, there's also Ezekiel 34, which is the same. You see God as the shepherd. You have people like David, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and many others. And so there's a lot of prominent people Uh, through the Jewish history that were shepherds. Obviously, Moses would be one of the great prophets, someone they would have highly regarded. So it's very interesting that they still have such a low view of shepherds, uh, as well as David, King David. So this, being a shepherd, was considered the lowest legitimate occupation you could have. It's interesting because villagers would also often consolidate and hire. And so with a flock of 100 sheep, uh, for instance, in this parable, it wouldn't be 
most likely all of that person's sheep. This would usually be a village. Let's say someone has you know, 30 sheep, someone else has 30 sheep, and another person has 40. And they say, well, why don't we all just combine it and we'll hire someone to take care of our sheep for us, which makes a lot of sense. And so with a flock this size, there would probably be two to three shepherds guarding the flock, and the sheep probably wouldn't be the shepherd's sheep. I say that, but in this parable, we'll get to it, it is the shepherd's sheep. But for sake of understanding New Testament times, uh, just understand that it would be two to three shepherds of a flock of a hundred Shepherds were often seen as dishonest, unskilled, and uneducated, uh, to the point that they couldn't testify in court. And so you can kind of get a good picture of how they're viewed in society. It's interesting because it was a 24-7 job. Uh, You couldn't leave the sheep. You had to stick with the sheep. That was your job. You were the shepherd. They need constant, constant care. And I mean constant care. Because of this, they couldn't hold to the man-made Sabbath rules that the Pharisees and the rabbis had made. And so this means that they were perpetually, always ceremonially unclean. And so when Jesus says, which one of you, as a shepherd, wouldn't search for the sheep, they probably were offended by this. We're not those unclean people who can't hold to the law Now, when you're thinking about the sheep, they are very interesting. I was just like reading about sheep, and I was like, wow, these things are legitimately helpless. Uh, They're not the brightest animal either. I was reading they're completely defenseless against predators. And so obviously the need for a shepherd is very important. Also, they can roll over by themselves, and so they can walk, and they might trip, and they might have very uh, plush fur, and if they roll over, they actually can't get themselves back up, and so it becomes very important, right? A shepherd has to come and just literally roll themselves over, so not only can they not defend themselves against predators, but they can't defend themselves against themselves, But it is very, that's important, right? Because if a sheep leaves the flock, in this case, right? A sheep is lost. Uh, That instantly becomes a very important priority. The sheep only has, if it's a very hot day, they can die within hours. Uh, If it's a colder day, they'll die within two to three days. And so when that sheep is lost, that shepherd has to act immediately. He has to go run and he has to find that sheep before a predator gets to itself, before it kills itself. Um, And so, there is an urgency there. And this brings us to the first point, bringing it to us. When you're thinking about that sheep, helpless, a little stupid, uh, you can think about ourselves. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But it is, and I'm kidding about the stupid, but you can think about ourselves. Uh, We were lost at one point in time. Uh, It's very easy to connect this to um, very classically Isaiah 53, right? 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone each one to our own way. And so we are that sheep who has gone astray. And at this point in time, realizing, right, we're lost. We don't have our shepherd. 
We are helpless without him. We at one point thought we didn't need a shepherd. Again, we willingly went our own way. And that can be for a lot of different reasons. Maybe we're like the Pharisees and the scribes and we had a self-righteous attitude. We thought we could do it on our own. We thought we could get to God on our own, that we didn't need him, that we didn't need Jesus. Uh, Maybe we followed after other gods. Maybe we followed after worldly possessions. There's a lot of reasons why sheep go their own way. But at this point in time, with the sheep lost, probably afraid, scared, he now sees that he is lost and that he needs help and that he needs the shepherd. And luckily for him, the shepherd is searching. That's my second point, is the shepherd's search. Right? Which man of you, having a sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. So the shepherd is searching. This is what he is supposed to do. And he goes after the one that is lost. Now everyone makes this big deal of he leaves the 99. Uh, and we have to remember that he, this isn't necessarily the focus of the parable that he leaves the 99. The focus is on the fact that he goes after the one that is lost. However, he does leave the 99. And again, this isn't him being negligent. Uh, This isn't the shepherd not doing his job. This is the shepherd doing his job. And so he is supposed to. Everyone would go after the one sheep that was lost. And again, that's kind of why when you see the flock this side, everyone who was hearing this parable would have said, oh, there's probably two or three shepherds guarding the flock this size, so the sheep aren't left unattended. And he goes and he goes until he finds it. There is a determination there. Now the shepherd uh, in the New Testament times had to find the sheep. And he either had to find it alive and bring it back to the flock, or he had to find it dead and he had to bring proof that the sheep had died and why it had died. And so if it was attacked by a predator, he would take out you know, a portion that proved that this sheep was truly dead and that it was attacked by a predator. So he goes until he finds it. The determination was there. And that's an easy connection point because he, that being God, searches for us. See, Christ came to seek and save the lost. We read that in chapter 19, verse 1, and actually go to chapter 19, because this is actually a very uh, important passage regarding this. This is the passage of Zacchaeus, and I want to read this for you. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, again, not very well-liked man at this point in time. Not only that, but he was rich, so likely he was stealing ample amount of money. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was so small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree 
to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, now I want to pause there real quick. When you go back to verse 3, it says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And so this is Zacchaeus, right, seeking to see Jesus. And so you'd say, well, this story might be about Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. But let's continue on. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, uh, and when they, they saw it, they all grumbled. Does that sound familiar? He has gone into the, into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since also, uh, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now when you read the whole entire passage, you say, Who was seeking who? Right? You might say Zacchaeus was seeking, but Jesus clarifies, right? Salvation has come to your house today. I came to seek and save the lost. So in reality, it was Jesus who was seeking Zacchaeus. Much like Zacchaeus was being sought after, right? We were at one point that lost sinner, that lost sheep, and he came to seek and save the lost. Uh, When I was thinking about this, it's interesting because it goes in line with a lot with what we have been talking about in Ephesians chapter 1, right? That he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. And uh, Pastor Bill has taught about that a lot, so I won't um, completely go talking about that passage in particular, but go back to Ephesians and think about how he seeks us. Boyce says it this way. Uh, This is James Montgomery Boyce. This is our hope. Not that we are at work, but that God is at work. Every Christian has been sought and found by God who always finds what he seeks. So for us, that should be a great comfort for us and make us appreciate the shepherd even more. Uh, That when we were lost, that we were going our own way, he sought us out. uh, That he came to seek and save the lost. So he searches for us, and the next point is the shepherd's burden. We see this in verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, it's very interesting because he finds it, and he lays it on his shoulders. This is actually uh, typical. This is what a shepherd would do during that time, is that when they found the sheep, they would probably tie up its legs, and they would just you know, straddle it around their shoulders. It makes sense. We can all picture it. Actually, I was reading in in the New Testament times uh, after Jesus came and left, uh, the symbol for Jesus was actually a shepherd with the sheep straddled around his shoulders, uh, just like the fish was. And actually, they say that if you still go to Israel during this time, that is still 
um, something that you will find, like carvings and that kind of thing. Uh, just kind of interesting. So he lays it on his shoulders. Now, sheep aren't necessarily light. Actually, they're over 100 pounds. Some of them can be up to 350 pounds. And so when you're thinking about this, don't think about this little, like, 15-pound lamb. Now, this is a sheep. Uh, he is, to carry this thing is quite the burden. Uh, it's not that you, know, you can just throw it on and walk miles and miles and miles easily. Uh, this is a difficult task. And again... He has to take this and he has to walk back to wherever he was initially. And it made me think, I thought about Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And then with this, uh, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's easy to see that when you're picturing it. And I love the attitude his attitude with the sheep, right? He is rejoicing while he is doing this. Think about that, rejoicing. Is that something that you would do if you were that shepherd? If I was that shepherd, I'd go find the sheep. I'd be like, this stupid animal always running away. I'd haul it on my thing, be grumbling and complaining the whole time. That's not what he does, right? He's just happy he found the lost sheep. He's rejoicing in this. He puts it on his shoulders gladly. Obviously, this has an importance for us. And I want to turn to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, uh, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I don't want to diminish the sacrifice of Jesus, but I think often in our minds we picture Jesus just barely going to the cross, not really wanting to, and yes, he did have a struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, take this cup from me, but he accepted that as the will of the Lord, and he did it for the joy that was set before him. It was obviously a very difficult tasks, but I think he did it gladly for his sheep, right, as the good shepherd. And so it was for the joy set before him. Uh, Jesus didn't begrudgingly go to the cross, right? He says, I do this on my own accord. I lay my life down. See, he rejoices because he loves the sheep. And so, and he has joy in finding what was lost. And so my last point I have is that the shepherd's joy. Uh, He returns home joyous. And he goes home. He doesn't go back to the field. He comes home. He brings the sheep back to his home. And when he gets there, he, 
uh, calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Right? This is a joyous occasion. And it's not just that he's happy that he lost the sheep. This is a joyous occasion. So joyous that he literally calls his friends and his families to celebrate the fact that he found the sheep. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes and everyone hearing this would have understand that this is a valuable thing. Right? Sheep weren't necessarily cheap back then, especially if it was maybe... Um, so they would understand that there is value in finding the sheep again. So Jesus connects this parable to life, and he says, Just so, verse 7, Just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There will be joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents. Now, this really points to the fact that, right, the Pharisees would have been like, oh, yes, that's great, right? That sheep was valuable, and he found it. And Jesus is basically saying, you cared more for that one sheep in this parable than for the lost sinner. God cares about the sinner. He's equating it, right? You didn't care about these sinners, but God cares about them, just like he cares about, the shepherd cares about the lost sheep. And it must have struck them that they didn't care about that. See, God is a God of joy over repentant sinners, right, for the joy set before him. And it's very interesting, our joy can come comes from God as the result of the glory of God's saving work. Now, the last thing I need to point out in this parable is the more than the 99 persons who need no repentance. Uh, he's connecting the 99 sheep to the 99 righteous persons. And so we can't really neglect that. A lot of commentators just try to forget the fact that he says 99 sheep and 99 righteous persons. Um, But it's pretty clear what he's talking about. Uh, Jesus is using ironic language here um, because the problem is they say, well, he says the 99 righteous. And so it kind of can be confusing. Uh, He is like the teacher who says to his students, I am more pleased with the student who study diligently than those who have all the answers. And what that teacher is really saying is, I am pleased with the students who study diligently, but not pleased with those who refuse to study because they think they know it all. And so he's kind of using that language. And that's kind of easy to see as well because we already read Luke 5, chapter 5, verse 30. And he says, those who are well, right, that would be the Pharisees, and he also calls them righteous at that point in time, right? I call uh, the sinners to repentance, not the righteous. And so you can kind of see what he's doing there. It's the fact that they were those self-righteous who thought they didn't need the Savior. They were the 99 sheep who just thought they they were well and good in their own little pen or in their own little field. It is the one that was lost, the sinner who realized he was lost, that realized he needed the Savior. All right, so the parable points to Christ as the good shepherd, Hendrickson puts it this way. What Jesus is saying in this is, if even a human shepherd will leave the 99 to find the one lost sheep that was lost, how much more will the great shepherd do to seek and reclaim 
the lost sinner and how much greater will his will be his joy and so that's what we need to take away from this so god is the great shepherd who searches for the lost that he finds the lost that he carries the lost and that he rejoices when they are found and so with that let's close in a word of prayer Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to come together to learn about um, you, the great shepherd, uh, who uh, came to seek and save the lost. And we thank you and praise you that you did come, that you sent your son uh, to die on the cross to take our place. And as we uh, think about that, as we come to the table, I pray that we would be preparing our hearts in our minds, and that they would be focused on you and your sacrifice, uh, that we would take away all things that are distracting us and be solely focused on you. And we just thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.